question because I feel like I never am ready for Christmas. I have even been known to be out at the mall on Christmas Eve on occasions with high blood pressure uh, trying to get ready for Christmas. So are you ready? The question when I ask, are you ready for, for Christmas, is not the question of do you have uh, the gifts you know, purchased and the food ready and all that kind of stuff, but rather the question I've got for you is, are we ready in the sense of encountering the Lord Jesus Christ and what He wants to do in our lives during this Christmas season? If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and on me while I'm up here, feel free to do so. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. What I want to challenge us on this morning is being very intentional about preparing for Christmas. In other words, intentionally getting ourselves ready, not again for the presents and the gifts and what we're going to do, etc., but intentionally get ready to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ himself and to have a deeper, richer walk with Him through this season. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. As you are turning there, allow me to give you the background. The book of 1 John, we believe, is written by the same John, who is the author of the Gospel of John, and who is the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Johns. He alone among the disciples that the Lord Jesus... You say, I can preach and be worked on at the same time. I hope you are impressed uh, with that. My battery apparently was low, which is probably a bigger reference than just to um, my, my ability to preach and so forth in my backpack. All right, we good to go, gentlemen? I like to walk when I preach, so all right, we're good to go. First John, written by John, who was a follower and disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the 12 disciples. And John was the only one of the disciples who followed Jesus all the way to the cross. The other disciples faded away when it came to that night, but John followed Jesus all the way to the cross, and Jesus committed his mother to John's care. As he wrote 1 John, he would have been an elder statesman in the church in those days. We believe 1 John was written in the last one-third of the first century. John, we believe, lived longer than any of the disciples, living into his 90s. And he penned this towards the end of his life as also he did the book of Revelation. For those of you that are senior adults and you think that maybe the Lord is through with you, remember that John wrote and was greatly used of God in his 90s. So unless you are pushing 100, you don't have any excuse to tell the Lord that you've had, it's time for you to check out already. He will check you out when he gets ready to check you out. Up to that point, be 100% at his disposal. Now that was the case with John here as he begins to write 1 John. Now he has some focuses in this book. First of all, he recalls to his readers the three basics of the Christian life, and they are the following. Number one, true doctrine or teaching. He places a lot of emphasis on the importance and the role of sound teaching. Number two, obedient living. In fact, what he does is he ties what we believe, the teaching, the doctrine, to how we live. It's not enough just to believe right. We also have to live out what we believe. 
And then third, devotion to Christ. That is the energy and the enthusiasm in my life for living for the Lord Jesus. So you start with the doctrine and the teaching, then you move from the doctrine and the teaching that we have to the place of living obediently to the Lord, but it doesn't stop there because how do I live obedient to the Lord? How do I live out this teaching? With energy, with enthusiasm, with devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's basically the heartbeat of the book of 1 John. 1 John, we're going to look at one verse today, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, and I want to give you a challenge with this verse. I'm going to preach through it this morning. I want to encourage you to go home and memorize it. Because this is a verse that if you commit to memory, you'll just go back to it over and over and over again. And the Lord can quicken it to your mind. I like to say, give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And when we memorize Scripture, we have placed into our minds and our hearts that which the Holy Spirit can take and work with. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. If, big if there, we got to take the initiative to do this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we prepare for Christmas. We prepare for what God wants to do in our lives, first and foremost, by confessing. Now, what does it mean to confess? He says, if we confess our sins. So what does it mean to confess sin? It doesn't mean that we just go out and say, hey, Lord, I I committed a bunch of sins. Would you forgive me? The idea of confession, the word that he uses there means to agree with someone about something. In other words, when I confess sin, I am agreeing with God about what God says about my sin. Now, how do I do that? And your sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. I invite you to follow along, take some notes if you will. How do I agree with God? Well, the first way I agree with God is that I respond to the inward conviction of the Holy Spirit. Remember we said last week that when we looked at the concept of repentance, that you and I do not repent on our own. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, takes us through the process of repentance. And this idea of confession, which is tied right into repentance, is that I confess sin as the Spirit of the living God convicts me of sin. Now, you don't have to ask the Holy Spirit of God to convict you. He'll take care of that. He'll do that one, okay? But as the Spirit of God moves in your heart and in your mind, and He begins to convict us of sin, then we admit to that, and we admit to it with a godly sorrow. Yes, Lord, you are right about what you were saying to me about sin in my life. We plead guilty to God with what He says to us about sin in our lives. Now, usually, if you're like I am when I'm watching TV in the evenings and I see this person's been accused of this and this person's been accused of that, what do they always do? Nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, they will do what plead not guilty. Well, when the Spirit of God convicts me of sin in my life, I agree with God about my sin, and I agree with Him, and I plead guilty before Him. Yes, Lord, what you are pointing out in my life needs to be changed. What you are pointing out in my life that is displeasing to you, I agree with you about that, and I am guilty as charged, Lord. And so, Lord, I'm going to move with you in this process. Now, it's interesting what he does here with the word confession, where it says if we confess our sins, 
The idea in the Greek language that's used here is in what's called the present tense. And what he's essentially saying is, as we are confessing constantly our sin. And that doesn't mean that we walk around all day long saying, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, and I did this, that, and the other. It is the idea that daily in the presence of the Lord, I allow, I invite, I look for and expect the Lord to speak to my life and say, this is where you need to make a correction. This is where you're moving in disobedience to me. This is how your life needs to be in alignment with my standard and what I have for you. This is what's breaking up the relationship that you have with me. And I confess that to him. I don't allow the sin to just build up in my life. Rather, I move on a daily basis to confess. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. If you ever get termites... In any part of your house, they will move in. And I've been here and done this. They will move in silently. They will move in quietly. They don't walk up to your door and ring the doorbell and say, Hey, we're the termite family and we are moving into your house. They will not do that, all right? I wish they would do that. What you will happen to you one day is you will walk to a part of your house that you think is pristine and fine, and you're going to look down, and you're either going to notice that the wood is starting to fall to pieces and become like, you know, just powder. Or, which is even worse, you are going to step on wood in your house somewhere, and your foot is going to go through it. It looks fine. It looks wonderful. But those termites have been chewing away, and they do their work quietly and silently, but very deliberately, and they go all over the place in the house. I had some neighbors in Hampton Roads, that they attacked them in the attic. I did not know termites went to the attic, but they went to the attic and made the attack instead of downstairs making the first attack. Now... This is the way sin works in our lives. It's like termites. It begins to creep into our lives, and it begins to chew away, and we don't realize the damage that's being done. We don't realize the damage that's being done until the damage is done. And then we step on a place in our lives, we put some pressure on a place in our lives, and all of a sudden everything starts collapsing. And we're like, I didn't know I was collapsing in this area of my life. And the reason we didn't is because sin is like a termite. And why Jesus says here, you need to confess your sins every day. Be in that mode of continuous confession is don't allow the termites of sin to chew into your life and to chew up your life because if you keep the confession going then the sin is not there to create the damage. And he says, confess our sin. we got to own it. We can't be in denial of it. The first step of freedom from sin is acknowledging sin and confessing and agreeing with God about the sin. Notice verse 8 in this chapter. If we say we have no sin, he says we deceive ourselves, we lie to ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now skip to verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we do what? We make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he says if we say we don't have any sin, his word's not in us. And in verse 9 he says the truth's not in us. Now remember what Jesus said about the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall do what? Set you free. So if I'm saying I don't have sin, I'm above sin, beyond sin, don't have any sin in my life, I've just walked into bondage. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And what he's saying here is the truth about all of us is we got sin issues. So he's saying if we're not confessing sin, the truth's not in us. He's not having the way that he needs to have in our lives. 
Now, folks, we live in a culture today that wants to blame everybody for our problems except us blaming ourselves. It's the fault of the culture. It's the fault of the country. It's the fault of my parents. It's the fault of the society I've grown up with. It's always somebody else's fault except for mine. I had a friend of mine who used to say you can live without anything but your ability to rationalize. And we like to rationalize away sin by saying it's always somebody else's fault. And what John is saying here is we have to confess, we have to own up to our sin. Yes, Lord, I agree with you. Yes, Lord, what you're pointing out, I need to repent, I need to change, I need to confess to you. Yes, Lord, it is there, and I'm agreeing with you about that, and I'm not going to live in denial of it. You see, what God gets, works in our lives is this way. He gets to the depth of our life, what I call the soil of our life. Not the top grass, but the soil, because he's got to deal with the problem down on the inside. I grew up in Richmond uh, in a community deep within the city when we had these yards that were hardly big enough to spit in. But my parents, particularly my dad, was just committed that our yard was going to be absolutely beautiful and that it was going to have this pristine set of grass. There was only one problem with it. We had soil in places in that yard that had absolutely no intention of cooperating with my dad on how nice the grass was going to look. And so my dad would go out there every spring, and we would spend Saturdays scraping up the soil and painting the grass seed and putting in the fertilizer and then watering it and watering it and watering it. I think we must have dumped the whole James River on our yard after a while, watering that. And, and at first, uh, the grass would come up beautiful, and then we had these patches every year that it would just die dead as a doornail after a while. And so my dad got so frustrated one year that he took soil samples to some guy, I'm not sure where, and they came back and they said, the problem with your yard is not not your seed, it's not your grass, it's your soil. And they told him that he needed to have more lime in his soil. And we must have purchased a limestone park at that point, because I remember my dad just put, I mean, pounds and pounds of <laughs> lime in the next few years to try to get that soil up to where it needed to be to sustain that grass. This is what God does in our lives. He says, the grass of your life the grass of your walk with me, what you see and what other people see. If you got places in your life of disobedience, places in your life where sin is taking root, places in your life where you're not seeing growth, it's because you got a soil problem down here. And I'm going to go to work in your life down here. Confession means we don't stay surface. Confession means we go down here. And confession is not fun. And confession is difficult. And confession forces us to face things about ourselves we don't want to face. And folks, let me tell you one of the areas that a lot of us struggle in. If you have places in your life where you were wounded when you were coming along, wounded in relationships or whatever, it is very easy to develop a sinful reaction and habit to a woundedness in your life. Now, the woundedness may not be what you asked for, and you and I didn't go looking for it, and we didn't ask for it, and in many cases, we didn't deserve it. But it is easy to form a sinful response to woundedness. 
You see, most of the addictive behavior we develop that destroys relationships in our lives began as a response to woundedness in our lives. And when God begins to move with us in confession, what he begins to say to us is this. You got wounded over here. You got hurt over here. But the response that you have developed is nailing you, nailing your relationship with me, and nailing your relationship with other people. And confession means that we got to go deep in your life. We got to bring this stuff up out of the soil. And we got to have a soil cleansing in order for you to get where you need to be. As long as we hold out on confession, we will hang out in bondage. As long as we hold out on confession, we're going to hang out in bondage. Now, what is sin? It says confess our sins. But what is sin? Everybody got a different idea about sin. If I tell you some of the things that I consider to be sinful, you probably look at me and say, well, I don't consider all those things to be sinful. We live in a culture that doesn't consider anything to be sinful. So what is sin? First of all, the word that's used for sin here means missing the mark. It means missing the mark. It is the idea of an inward element inside of us that produces acts of disobedience to God. In other words, there is an inward element, a will down here that lives itself out and expresses itself in disobedience to God. Sin has power. I cannot emphasize this enough. Sin has inherent power within it. And the more we allow sin to take place in our lives and to get a bigger foothold in our lives, the more power it is going to have in us and over us. Now, we'll talk in a few moments how to break the power of sin. But as long as we tolerate sin, it gets an ever greater power over us. The seat of sin is our will. In other words, we choose to sin. Now, some of you that are my age or older remember the Flip Wilson show of the 1970s. And you remember what Flip Wilson, who played this character called Geraldine, used to say all the time? The who? The devil made me do it. You say that with me. The devil made me do it. Well, that's what we love. Do We love to blame the devil or somebody else. But we choose to sin. We choose to be disobedient to the Lord. So, how do we know what sin is? Let me give you two ideas. Number one. The Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 are the don'ts. I don't have time to go through them. But when you and I, if we will read, study, memorize, look at those Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 where God said, you shall not murder, you shall not lie, you shall not covet, you shall have no other gods before me, etc. That is the first standard that God gave of what sin is. And when we break those commandments, not suggestions, but commandments, when we break those commandments, we have stepped over the line and we have given sin a place in our lives and are giving it power in our lives. Now, go to the New Testament, what I call the list of the do's. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is the core of Jesus' teaching. And those are the do's. This is who he wants us to be. In particular, chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 12 
or what are called the Beatitudes, where he says you need to be merciful, you need to be kind, etc. He gives us the do's there. So the don'ts in Exodus chapter 20, what he wants us to live and do in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Now, if you're listening to me and you say, well, Pastor, I'm really not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. I'm so glad you said that, because in mid-January, I'm going to begin a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to be preaching through it on Sunday mornings. We're going to have a study book, and we're going to continue to go through it on Wednesday nights. And we're just going to saturate ourselves in the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of the book of Matthew as we move through the winter and get into what Jesus wants us to be. So, how do we prepare for his coming? Number one, by confessing. Number two, how do we prepare? By receiving his forgiveness and cleansing. Notice what he says. If we confess our sin, he says he's going to do four things. Number one, he says, I'll be faithful. Number two, he says, I'll be just. Number three, he says, I'll forgive you your sins. And number four, he says, I will cleanse you. Let's move through those. Number one, it says that he is faithful. What does it mean for him to be faithful? It means he's constant. He's reliable. He'll keep his promise. He's going to be faithful to forgive us. Follow me on this. When he says he's faithful to forgive, it doesn't just mean that he says, okay, I'm going to forgive you your sin. And we'll talk about what forgiveness means in just a moment. It means that he restores us to use us. He restores us to use us. God does not just forgive you. He restores you in relationship with him so that he can use you. It is not just coming and saying, Jesus, forgive me, and then I just sort of move on with life. It is, Jesus, forgive me, restore me into a relationship with you so that I can serve you and be used of you. And he says, I restore you so that I can take your life and use you. Some of you that I'm speaking to today, you're sitting there and you want, you need, you thirst for the forgiveness of God, but you don't think that God, even if he forgave you, would ever want to do anything with your life. Forgiveness is the pathway to being used of God. And when he forgives you, he forgives you because he wants to be in close relationship with you and he wants to take your life and he wants to use you. The idea, again, of this forgiveness is continuous. I love it. He says, be confessing continually, and I'm going to be faithful continually. Every time you come and confess, I'm there to listen, to heal, to restore, to call you to use your life. He is faithful and just. Now, this word just, and I get really excited when I preach this concept, okay? So y'all bear with me. If I break Pentecostal on you, then you just, you know, bear with me on that, all right? When he says here, he is faithful and just, the idea of him being just to forgive us is that he is just in that Jesus secured our forgiveness on the cross. This is what he's trying to say when he says he is just to forgive us. When you and I come to Jesus and we confess our sin to him and we agree with him about what he said about our sin, this is what God does when he forgives us. He doesn't look at the sin and say, hey, that's no big deal. Don't worry about it. I'm just going to throw it underneath the carpet. What Jesus does is this. Excuse me. What God does is this. He looks at the cross and he sees where our sin, our guilt, our shame, all that we are guilty of that we are accused of was placed on Jesus on the cross. And he says, I forgive you, not because you confess so well, but because my son died so well. 
I forgive you, not because you're getting right, but because my son got it right on the cross 2,000 years ago. I forgive you because of his blood that was shed for you on the cross. My forgiveness is just because my son was just. And what he accomplished on the cross was just. That's what your forgiveness is predicated on. So don't, when you confess, don't worry about whether you say all the right words. No, just come to him, pour out your heart to God, and know that he looks at the cross and he says, I forgive you, I restore you, I call you, I will use you, and I set you free because of what my son did on the cross for you. That's why the Bible says that he became sin for us, who knew no sin, that the righteousness of God might be placed in you and me. Now, he says, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sin. Now, this is what forgiveness means. The biblical word that's used here to forgive means this. It means to send something away. It means to be delivered. It's like releasing somebody from jail. It means the complete removal of the cause of the offense. You see, when God forgives you and I, he's not doing damage control. He's doing deliverance. A lot of times we want damage control. God, would you just sort of move through my life and clean up all the damage? He said, I'm not interested in cleaning up the damage. I'm interested in totally releasing you from the sin. I'm going to release you from the sin. I'm going to release you from the power of the sin in your life. Follow me on this. Only Jesus, only Jesus has got the power to set us free and release us from sin. Now, notice how he does it. We confess the sin. We agree with him. We come to him for forgiveness. He says, I'm going to send it away. I'm going to give you deliverance. I'm going to release you from it. And I'm going to cleanse you from all the unrighteousness, all the things that are in disobedience to me. I'm going to cleanse you from it. Now, I want to illustrate how God does the cleansing. I've got here a bucket with water and soap suds in it, okay? And i got two dishes here. And I'm going to pull two dishes out. This first dish taken from our dinner table last night, all right? And it's dirty, okay? It's got some cranberry sauce on it, and it's got some uh, rice on it, etc. I'm going to put it into this water here. And then I'm going to take a scrub brush, and I'm going to begin to scrub this dish that we had from dinner last night, all right? And as I begin to scrub it, it begins to get clean. And you can sort of see as I'm doing it, and this is cold water, so it doesn't work as well as hot water would work, but it's, the stuff is coming off as I scrub it. Now, some of this stuff's got to be scrubbed pretty hard in order to come off, all right? And when God begins to cleanse us, sometimes he has to scrub pretty hard in his work in our lives to cleanse us and set us free. Now, the next time you wash dishes... You think about this, okay? And you think about God cleansing you. He says he cleanses us. Now, you notice right now that this dish is pretty much totally different from the way I started it. It had all that stuff on there from last night. Now, all of it's clean. This stuff hadn't been on here very long. The nature of what was on here, cranberry sauce and rice, comes off pretty easy. Just took some scrub in there and some being applied, and it came off. When it says he cleanses us, get the idea, God scrubs us. Scrubs our hearts, scrubs our souls, scrubs our lives. Now, I got another dish here I'm going to pull out. This dish 
is different. This is from breakfast yesterday morning. We had our Saturday morning special at our house for breakfast. We always have, we can do it pancakes. And it's got syrup on it. Now, this has not been washed in over 24 hours. Do you know what happens with syrup when it sits on a dish for over 24 hours? It moves in and takes up residence never to depart therefrom, all right? So I'm going to stick this into the, the water here, and then I'm going to begin to scrub. And you will notice that the scrubbing isn't necessarily accomplishing a whole lot. In fact, I feel like I need a sledgehammer or a chisel more than I need this. So this is what I'm going to have to do with this dish. I'm going to have to place it down in this water, and it's going to have to soak. Now, uh, we're not going to wait for this dish to soak clean because if we did that, the praise band would sing for an hour, and then Fred would lead us in hymn singing as we move through every hymn in the hymn book, uh, waiting for this dish uh, to get to the place that I could scrub it clean. So it's going to have to soak for a good long time in order for that syrup to get loose so that it can be scrubbed off. Now, what am I trying to say? This is what I'm trying to say, folks. When the Lord goes to cleanse us, all cleansing does not happen and work identical. There are some areas of disobedience and sin in our life that God's going to be able to clean really quick and get us freed up from really quick. There are other areas in our lives that the stuff is really stuck in our lives. It's been there a while, and it has really taken up residence in our lives. And we have got to soak in the grace of God and the work of God in those areas in our lives for a while. And if we don't soak in those areas for a while, it's never going to get loose. Now, follow what I'm saying. Some of you have gone to the Lord and you've confessed stuff to Him. And you wanted this to happen really quick. But you're still right here. You keep going back to the Lord over and over again. God, why can't I get this? Because I feel like I stay stuck right here with this mess stuck to my life. And this is what the Lord is trying to say to you. Some stuff comes off easy because it hadn't been there long. But the stuff that you keep going back and confessing over and over and over again is stuck to your life like this syrup is stuck to this plate. And you've got to get in my presence for a while. You've got to get real honest with me. And you've got to be saturated in my love, in my power, and in my cleansing for a while. It may take days. It may take weeks. However long it takes, you hang in there with God. You see, we want cleansing like that. But it doesn't work like that. And God says, if it's stuck to your life, you've got to give me time to do the work of deep cleaning that's got to be done. Folks, part of confession is patience. Part of confession is giving God the time He needs to do the work. 
And I know in my life's journey, I want the quick fix. And God has said to me on many occasions, you're not getting a quick fix. This is going to get, take some time for me to get this stuff cleaned out of your life. And you got to hang in there with me. And let me encourage you to do one other thing with the deep cleaning part. Most of the time, when God does deep cleaning in your life, you're going to need another brother or sister in Christ who's more mature than you are to walk that journey with you. Now, we don't like to do that because we like to think, I don't need any help. I can do this on my own. But the Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sometimes a verse I wish wasn't in the Bible. But sometimes we need a brother or a sister in Christ to help us, to look us in the face and to walk with us through that journey. But we're never going to get to this if we're not willing to walk the journey the way the Lord tells us we got to walk the journey in confession to Him. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, sometimes we come to you and we say, Jesus, forgive me for doing whatever I did. And we get a quick clean. And we shout hallelujah and we thank you and we're happy about that. But then, Lord, there are areas in our lives where we need a, a deep clean. For we got to soak in your work for a while. For we've got to let you work on us over time for a while. And when we do that, and we take the time, and often we have to get the help of a brother or sister in Christ, then you are able to liberate us. And Jesus, I want to pray for every person who's listening to this message, that Lord, as you point into our lives places where that syrup of sin is stuck big time to us, that Jesus, we will be willing to soak in your presence and soak in your work for as long as it takes in order for you to clean us. Lord, do the deep cleaning in us that needs to be done, that you are calling us to have done in our lives. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you a moment in prayer to talk with the Lord about the cleaning that he wants to do in our lives. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to say to Him this day, I will follow you and I will walk with you and I will serve you. I want to encourage you to just to pray that out to Him right now. Jesus, I will follow you. I will serve you. I want to belong to you. Jesus, clean me. In just a moment, we will sing a song, and I want to invite you, if you're here in this room, to walk the aisle. If you need to give your life to Jesus, if you sense the Lord's calling you to be part of our church family, or whatever it is that maybe you need us to pray with you about, feel free to come. We'd love to do that. For those of you that are joining us through Facebook, we invite you to message us so that we can be responsive to you.
Lord God, have your way with us in these moments as we respond to you and how you're speaking and touching in our lives, either here, Lord, or wherever this message is going. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Come if you will.